0: Welcome to an inspirational message, recorded live at Little Falls Christian Centre. Heavenly Father, as it is true that we worship your holy name, we also know, Father, that you inhabit the praises of your people. Father, as we are here tonight, we have an expectation that You would come and meet every single person that is here, but also those who are listening. Father, that the power of Your Holy Spirit will not only touch the hearts of people, but take them where they need to be in the hour that we are in. Lord, we lift up the name of Jesus Christ, for there is no other name but Jesus Christ. And we give You alone the praise. Let's give God a praise offering. Hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Thank you very much, Ben. And it's wonderful once again to be in the house of God. I hope that anybody who watched the Grand Prix today didn't think or do not think that I adjusted my title based on what happened today so whoever you supported let it be between you and whomever else but it is wonderful truly to be in the house of god you know the people in this world really look at us as christians as a bunch of strange people because in the hour that we are in we are the ones who speak life we have hope we always we always refer them to the word of god and I'm not sure if you know this today, but today is day 626, the 626th day that we in South Africa have been in lockdown, a very, very long time. Now, those of you who are listening over the internet, welcome, welcome. This word is for you, so don't worry. I'm not going to stay just with day 626. But as I started in preparation, the Lord took me to His word and He said, go to Psalm 6, 2, verse 6. It is day six two six for South Africa. And it is the day that God is taking us to His Word in Psalm 6, 2, verse 6. And it says there, Jesus, He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my defence. I shall not be moved. God speaks to us in every possible way if only we listen and only we watch what god wants to do in our lives we as christians are the hope to the world out there and they really think we are from the funny farm you know when i was a young kid i was raised in a christian family and the way how they looked at christians and the way how i believed christians would be is that they would walk with their shoulders bent forward. You know, we carry the burdens of the world. We were worried and they were the stern look on their faces. If you dared smile or be happy, you would be frowned upon because you would be deemed as a backslider and possibly someone who hasn't repented of sin. The thing called the joy of the Lord was not something that was preached or taught, not, in, not where I was. And all the more, it reminds me the day that I truly come to the knowledge of who my Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ is. If He says that today is the day that He has made and I must rejoice and be glad in it. It didn't come with conditions. When I feel good, then I can rejoice. When things are tough and I feel sad, I can still rejoice because God is still greater than my worst day. This is what this word teaches me, and this is the hour that we are in, and this is why we have hope, and this is why we look strange to the world, because God then comes in three Scriptures, and He tells us this in Philippians 3 verse 20, for our citizenship, yours, is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then in Titus 2 verse 13, it says, looking for the blessed hope. And glorious appearing of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, and then in one Thessalonians one verses ten, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, who believes, who delivers us from the wrath to come. These are the promises that we stand on, and this is why the world thinks we. Are funny and we are strange if only they knew if only they knew and I will motivate this point as well you know you can go to any website I suppose and you will find the population of the world it gives it as 7.8 billion people obviously everything is rounded off here then the websites give us various information on statistics of how many Christians there are in the world and they give it as 2.4 billion Christians 2.4 billion Christians in the world But let's be serious. They group everyone under Christianity, all of those who has the name of our Lord Jesus Christ somewhere in their doctrine. You can worship Jesus, but other gods too. You can pray, but He's not the only way to salvation. You can pray through another preacher and He can deliver you. You can pray through another person. So there are many false cults and religions. So if we work, by all fairness, all those Christian denominations that only use this word, as their constitution, then you half that number, then you sit at 1.2 billion people that are Christians in this world. But now we're talking about people who believe in this beautiful book. Doesn't mean that they do it. So if we really look at the spirit-filled, born-again Christians, the one who declares that Jesus Christ is the only Son of God, and they live by that, then that number is halved again. We sit at 600 million Christians in this world. Obviously estimated. 600 million Christians in this world. That's a lot. That's great. If our Lord would come today, 600 million people would go to heaven. That sounds great. But when you put it into context with the number of people in this world, 600 million out of 7.8 billion only constitutes 8%. If God would send His Son today, 92% of the people are going to hell. That is the reality that we are dealing with. And I want to explain it for you in case you're not great at math. I'm not being facetious here. But if we look at the average household of four people, and we take three households of four people, and let's say I take Rudolph, I know he's got a household of four. I take Pastor George. He's got a household of four. And I take Pastor Hugo. He's got a household of four. Out of 12 people, 11 will go to hell and one will go to heaven. This is the reality what we are facing with. And God is looking at you, precious child of God, and you who are listening. God is looking at us to make a difference because God will not settle for 8%. He wants much more and he's looking at you and me for for help in that respect. For us as Christians, we deal with two certainties in this life and there are more, but these two ones only Christians deal with and they have it. Number one, we know what is happening in the world today, not in the natural dimension, but we know spiritually what is going on because this Holy Scriptures tells us and secondly, We know what is coming. We know what is coming. And what are we doing about this? Because we are the only ones who know what is coming. 600 million people know what is coming and you count amongst those. I do believe that. Jesus Christ, our Lord, is not coming back for the people. We must get this. He is not coming back for the people. He's coming back for a pure bride. He's only coming back for the pure bride because He already came for the world. He's coming back for a pure bride. And 92% seems to not be part of that equation. Now you get a glimpse of what God's grace is because God is surely holding back because He will not settle for 8%. Now you get to know what God's grace is God's grace brought you here that you are saved, and there are others that need to become part of that equation. That is why He is withholding back His Son and not sending Him because He will not settle for 8%, and neither should you and I. That is just the introduction to tonight's sermon. So I want to go to our foundational text, which is found in the book of Acts, chapter 15, verse 36 and I'm gonna read until verse 40. So out of the New King James, the book of Acts, verse 15, 36 to 40. You know, when I was a kid, we waited for the preacher to wait for everyone to get to that scripture because everybody was paging and looking in the index, where is the book of Acts, etc. Now you just go to your iPad and your phone and just Old Testament, New Testament, and you hope it's in the New Testament to get there. But it is in case you are unsure. Chapter 15, verse 36, and I read for us. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and he sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and he departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. The first thing that we pick up here is that Mark is rejected by Paul. Paul has got his valid reasons. Paul is not unfair in his assertion of this particular situation, he's got his reasons. Acts 13:13 13, 13 proves what is written here, why Paul feels this way about Mark. Barnabas feels different to what Paul feels, and he is supporting his sister's son. So the two of them are at loggerheads, and neither of them are willing to give an inch, and here is a recipe set for chaos and disaster. And the devil must have thought he is smiling of what hap- is happening here. Mark experienced something that all of us as Christians at some point in our lives will experience. It is that ugly word called rejection. And before you fall back in your seats, no, tonight's sermon is not about rejection. I'm using it as a buildup to what I want to get at. But I want to deal with rejection because I believe that we deal tonight with rejection and I will show you things in God's word that will forever settle that argument that none of us, should ever sit in a place feeling rejected because that has been dealt with. Because you see what we as people do, we are the evil ones. People reject people. But God rejects behavior and He rejects evil thoughts and He rejects wrongful words. God never rejects people. He sent His Son to die for you. How will He reject you? but it's us people who reject people. And we need to learn a lesson from this. You know, when it comes to rejection, I want to ask anybody who presently, and you listening there as well, if you in any way are presently experiencing rejection, I want to ask this question. Why do you give someone so much power over you that what they have said and that what they have done impacts you so much that you sit in that place of despair. What right does that person have to make you feel the way that you do? Someone else's opinion of you should never become your opinion. They have no right, and you have no right to take that opinion. Your opinion of where you go in this life solely rests upon you, not on another person. And here's the thing. God is angry for those who are sitting in that place of rejection. Why? Because what we are doing is we're elevating the power of rejection higher and greater than the power of God that already dealt with rejection. And if you don't trust me, I will prove it to you. I will show it to you because I think people sometimes understand better when they see. So I wanna ask you if they can put on the first slide for me because I wanna, today, as I said, I want to put to bed this whole thing about rejection that nobody ever will feel rejected at all again or take the lies of rejection. Now, what you see here at the back is a map of Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. Now Mount Moriah is greatly significant in the, in, in, in the Word of God. God often refers to Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is referred to as the mountain of God. Now if you look at the, 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 the well let's say that brown stripe that runs from the south to the north, that is the whole of Mount Moriah. On Mount Moriah, the temple of God was built by Solomon at the threshing floor of Aruna, also referred to as the threshing floor of Onan, On Mount Moriah, Abraham sacrificed Isaac. On Mount Moriah, David built his city because he was God's beloved. On Mount Moriah, our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified. Now you see these mountains and you will see them to the right of Mount Moriah. You've got the Mount of Olives. And to the left, you've got Mount Zion. Right here, I want you to see something just from a spiritual perspective. The Holy Trinity is right there present in Jerusalem through these mountains. Because if Mount Moriah represents God, so does the Mount of Olives represent Jesus Christ, our Lord, because it was there that He ascended to the heavens and it is there where He will come from in, righteous, in, in rightful manner. The book of Acts confirmed this. And then Zechariah also says that his feet shall be on the Mount of Olives. In Zion, Mount Zion, the Holy Spirit was poured out. God is right there on these mountains. But keep your eyes on Mount Moriah. Can you please go for me to the next slide, please? Because now I want to explain this thing. What you see here is the meterage above sea level of the area, the topology of Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. And you will note when you see the the threshing floor of Aruna, which is the Temple Mount presently in Jerusalem. And you will see it is 741 meters above sea level. But cast your eyes northward to the top. What do you see there? At 777 meters above sea level, the highest point on Mount Moriah, there's a cross where our Lord Jesus Christ where he was raised up high. And he's the one who knows everything about rejection. He was rejected from the day that he was born until the day that he was died and everything in between. And he dealt with rejection. He had to flee to Egypt because Herod wanted to kill him. He had to come back and couldn't even come back to his birthplace. He had to go to Nazareth. He, when he preached in Nazareth the first service to his countrymen, they wanted to kill him, to push him off a cliff. His own hometown rejected him. His people rejected him. The Pharisees rejected him. The 12 disciples rejected him. And there at 777 meters above sea level, the highest point on Mount Moriah, the father rejected his son because of the sin that was upon Jesus Christ. The father never rejected his son. You must understand this. God the Father rejected the sin that Jesus took upon Himself. How do we know this? Because Jesus uttered these words, by God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Every rejection was nailed on Calvary, Golgotha, at 777 meters above sea level. And if you cannot see 777 and see the Holy Trinity of God in that number, then I don't know. Because rejection had its victory at the highest point, because Scripture confirms this. Psalm 118, says this. It says, And the stone that the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. And in John 12:32, Jesus speaking to John and the disciples, saying to them all, our Lord saying, And I, when I am lifted up high above the earth, will draw all men to me. Which means that from here on in, you have no reason to feel rejected because it was nailed to a cross at the highest point in Calvary. So let's give our Lord a praise offering because rejection exists no more. At the height of rejection, victory was obtained. Mark now faced exactly the same situation. He is rejected by Paul. What does he do from here on in? Two things happen to people. and especially to Mark when rejection comes. Number one, the enemy wants to have his way and will send a lot of waves your direction. But listen to what happens here. See how the work of the enemy goes. The table was set for absolute chaos and disaster. But see what what happens here. God God is not one step ahead of Satan. God is millennia ahead of Satan. Mark The plan of Satan was that Mark would feel discouraged because of Paul's rejection. What does Mark do? It doesn't work what the enemy tries. Mark decides, well, I'm not going to go with Paul anymore. I can't. He doesn't want me. I'm going with my uncle. The devil wants to stop Mark from going on a missions field to go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because of this rejection. That also doesn't work because Mark doesn't go in the direction with Paul. He goes in this direction. And the beauty of it all when the devil tried to cause discouragement and divide and conflict between Barnabas and Paul and to, with that whole plan to totally stop the mission's work for spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, look what God does. Where the enemy wants to kill, God comes and multiplies. Because suddenly where there was one mission field, it was the plan, it seems to have failed, what happens? God suddenly doubles up and He says, Paul, you go this direction, Barnabas, you go this this direction. And suddenly, overnight, the, the field for the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ is multiplied. And not only that, two people are loggerheads here. God doesn't use two people, He sends another two. He says, Paul, you take Silas and Barnabas, you take Mark with you. You see, when God is at hand and God is working, He will take that rejection and He will bring you to a place where you are faced with changing lanes. Because right there, Mark went into a different direction. And this is a a, a principle we see in the Word of God. Those who experience rejection are often forced to go a different direction. Joseph was rejected and he moved from his house. He moved to Egypt. David When he was in Jerusalem, he had to move from Jerusalem because his son, Absalom, wanted to overthrow the kingdom. So David had to depart only to return later. Moses was in Egypt, had to move away only to return 40 years later, only then to move away again and go to the desert before he could obtain what it is that God had for him. The same thing with, um, I always think of the name Hadassah, but Esther Esther had to leave her home and she would be moved into a palace in Persia. All these men moved and all of them went to a different direction. Daniel was taken out of Jerusalem into Babylon. Our Lord Jesus Christ was taken from place to place because they wanted to kill him and the the Pharisees wanted to imprison him. And all along he changed lanes, but he stayed the course. You know, when you change lanes, it doesn't mean that you change destiny and your destination remains the same. But God forces us to change lanes because we cannot be the same if we want to go and do what God wants to work in and through us. There are things that I want to show you what happened with Mark. Mark is surrounded by the right people, number one. If you just look at it in the natural, he's got his uncle with him. His mom raised him in the right way. In her house, they prayed many a times. And then at a later stage, Mark would meet up with Peter, and Peter later refers to him as my son. And if you just look at the meaning of the names of these people, the name of Mark, Mark is his Greek name. His Hebrew name is John. It says here in the Scripture, John Mark. Now, John means God is gracious or the grace of God. Barnabas means son of encouragement. Peter means rock. Now, can you see what God is saying to you when you are changing lanes? He's saying to you, have courage because my grace will be with you and you will be anchored in the rock. No matter where you go, I am with you because I will take care of you even wherever you go to the ends of the earth. Yes, let's give God a proper praise offering. Amen. Amen. Not only this, Paul later calls for Mark. In the book of Timothy, as well as the book of Colossians, he says, send Mark to me because he is good and he is worthy and useful for ministry. The one who rejected him calls him and says to him, I want to use you now. He must be used. He gets the stamp from Paul, from all the people saying, he's now good enough. As I said earlier, Peter calls him my son. Mark On his right hand, he's got the great apostle who was sent into the field to to minister unto the Gentiles. And on this side, he's got Peter, the one who ministered and was sent to to the Jews. He's flanked by them. And then to top it all, God calls Mark to write the gospel of Mark. And with this, we have the personal account of Peter. Can you see where the Lord moves you if you are changing lanes? Because some of you here tonight, of that I'm certain, Of that I'm certain. You are stuck in the same place and nothing has changed for you. You've tried a lot of things, but you're still in the same place. You have been ploughing the same field. You have been climbing the same horse. You have been staying in the same lane and nothing is changed. My challenge to you is when are you going to change and changing lanes so that things can change for you? Because God has that in line for you. What happened to Mark was when God changed lanes for Mark, Mark became far more industrious, far more carrying fruit and be fruitful in the kingdom of God. And this is what God has for each and every single one of us. God is not moved, but what is happening in this world. 92% of that which is happening in this world is not going to stop God to bring to fulfillment what He has said in this Word. This you must know, precious child and son of God and daughter of God, daughter and son of the most high God, because He wants you to change lanes, because things must change, and the chains start with you. And there is never a season that is not right for change, because you cannot cast your eyes upon what's happening in this world, because you'll be staying there at the bottom. And when Jesus said, I, when I am lifted up high upon the earth, I will draw all men to me, which includes every single one of us that is here. And this is what He wants to do in and through every single one of you the place of rejection for Mark was the place where he obtained victory because their breakthrough came for him Paul's rejection of Mark forced Mark to change lanes and the rest as they say is history the rest is history and how do you know that you can do the same and that it will be okay and all right and good with you and well with you because God says so God says In His Word, He is able to change all things around and make it work together for good for those who love Him. God says, the good work that I have started in you, He will bring to completion. God says that my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So guess what? We all have weaknesses, but it doesn't make us weak. It makes us realize that we need God and God's strength will be made perfect in our weaknesses and He will take you on that road and when the lanes are changed in your life, you will get to that place that you are far more productive, far more industrious and far more worthy in terms of carrying fruit in the kingdom of God. This is what God wants for you because 8% is not enough for God. I'm closing, I can't believe how quick the time goes, but I'm, I'm closing with this. On the 21st of November, a few Sundays ago, I was sitting in the evening service here and Pastor Harold was talking about Abraham and Melchizedek and how he surrendered to him, his tithes, gave unto him. By no one's instruction, Abraham just did that and how God blessed him since then. And as I was sitting there, suddenly the Holy Spirit just got hold of me and he reminded me of a prophetic promise that was spoken here. I don't know when it was, but those words just came. And I wanna read this to you because this is the reminder that God hasn't forgotten about you and you who are listening as well. This is what was said because this is not my words. I'm merely repeating what God has said already in this house. God says this, Africa is mine. Africa is mine, which includes you and me. And then he says, out of darkness, I have called you and you will be an orphan no more. Others have mocked you and they have rejected you but I have had my eye upon you all along. And again, he reminded me, and God said, Africa is mine. This continent, its people, including you, you are God's and no one else. And God is looking at you to go and change the 92%. Amen. Yes. Let's give God a praise offering. I close, I close with this. If, we would know that our Lord Jesus Christ would come in 30 days. And we are asked each one to just disciple one person, lead one person to Christ. In 30 days, 600 million will become a 100% increase because we would move from 600 million to 1.2 billion. And you know what's the greatest thing of, about this is we would have robbed hell of 600 million. What is it going to take? Why wait to change lanes? Because God seriously needs you, precious child of God, to move the figures in a far better, improved place. And God is looking at you and He's looking at me. Change lanes, become more productive, bear more fruit in the kingdom of God, but you cannot stay where you are anymore. You have to change lanes because your Direction that you will be going is still in the same direction. Destination is still the same. The course that you are pursuing is still the same. But change comes when you change and God wants to bring change because He will never settle for 8%. Never will He do that. Jesus Christ did not come for 8%. God wants more. You and I, surely I know, want more. Let us go and be more for the kingdom of God. Amen. Let's give God a praise offering. Amen. Amen. I feel like I've just started, so, but, it's, but it's not so. So don't, don't fear. I'm not going to do another sermon. But, you know, if you can really understand how much God loves you and that He trusts you, He's put things in you that nobody else have, and you've got to utilize it for the kingdom of God. Don't look at what you don't have. Always work with what you have. Now, I'm going to close off in prayer, and then I want to call two people that are, these are, especially one is a very private matter concerning prayer, and we want to pray for this. So I just want to ask after we close in prayer that if I pronounce the name correctly, Dimakatsu, can I see where you are? Dimakatsu, that's you. If you can just sit for me in the front, we will come, we will get to you, and then Tracy, I've seen Tracy here somewhere. You can come forward to me afterwards as well. We are in the festive season. We are in a season of Christ festiveness. Stay safe, stay alert, and stay awake. And don't discount yourself to think that God cannot use you. Changing lanes, the precious child of God, is the easiest thing to do. And perhaps, I suppose we're almost off here. I will, I will, just one minute. I'll give you one minute of a testimony. Four years ago, I was 17 months jobless, and then I had a job. I went to work on the Monday. They told me on the Tuesday I needed to fly down to Durban because the rest of the week I needed to spend there with induction course and also having their annual sales conference. My wife couldn't take me to the airport the following day because she already started work early, so I had a friend who took me to the airport, and we agreed beforehand that he would come early, we would travel a different route to the airport, just at the risk of not getting caught up in traffic congestion. I arrived at the airport hour and a half before my flight, booked in everything. I came to the airport, I thought the rapture had taken place because I literally saw four people. It was hardly anyone at the airport. I went up to the newsstand to to pick up a few uh, newspapers for myself, and as I turned around, yes, it's two people. And I'm dead in my tracks. Yes, it's past Harold and Maud. And I'm thinking now, what do I do? Because there are only four or five people in the airport and they're having breakfast, and any moment they're gonna look up, they're gonna see me. So I'm planning on walking back the same way that I came. Because I've got that respect and I suppose reverend fear for Pastor Harold as well. And as I was about to make my move, the Lord stopped me. And, he, and, and suddenly I thought, okay, well, if they see me now walking, they're going to think, what a rude person this is. So I went the other route. So I decided I'm going to walk past them and just greet them and move on. I walked past them and I greet them and I was stuck there for half an hour. <laughs> I went to Durban. I came back five days later. I got a call from this pastor here and said to me, Pastor Harold wanted to see me and my wife. And I thought, my goodness, what have I done? I arrived here the Sunday morning here at the back. And yes, the words that Pastor Harold said to me. He said to me, the day that you were in my presence was the day that your life changed. There you had your interview. 17 months, I went to about 15 to 20 interviews. I prepared. I did my research on the companies. I prayed. I fasted. Nothing. Here I prepared nothing for an interview. And God took my Lanes from being in the corporate world for 23 years and He moved me this way. If God can do it for me, He can do it for you. God wants to do it for you. Amen. Amen. For more teachings like this and other material, please visit our website at www.littlefallsonline.com.